Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and my co-host Kyle uh, take turns introducing each other to films, and uh, in this way we catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of August, and uh, we're in the midst of our Anime August event month, um, headlined by myself. Uh, so I've been picking all the anime films to screen for the two of us. Um, folks at home, if you're not aware, Kyle is not especially well-versed in the world of anime. So last year, our first annual Anime August, uh, I took it upon myself to kind of like ease him into the pool and I give him like a sampler plate of a, a variety of like big name directors and big name animation studios. This year, however, uh, we're delving into the trash bin. <laughs> um, titties and uh, schlock. More, yeah, t- titties and schlock. <laughs> um, more specifically, my personal trash bin. Uh, so we're watching movies that uh, maybe meant something to me at a certain point in my life, maybe not today. Um, but a lot of this stuff is like nostalgic properties that, you know, I was I was raised on the animes. So um, a lot of this stuff is going to be f- directly from the 90s and is not particularly great in an objective sense. Um, but, you know, maybe it hit me at the right time in my life and therefore it has a special place in my heart. Um, so last week we covered uh, Fatal Fury, the motion picture, Kyle. And uh, did you do you have anything of note to say about it uh, today <laughs> i don't even remember watching it it's you see <laughs> folks this is exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> i don't even remember watching it. i'm full disclosure i just spent you know the last two weeks traveling from you know the east coast to the west coast a uh, lot of bad sleep in between there so i yeah i don't even remember it now <laughs> it's like hang on you shot who in the what now <laughs> um but yeah uh, we're continuing that trend, actually, maybe even in slightly reversed order. I'm not sure which came first. Um, I know Fatal Fury, the f- motion picture, was preceded by two OVAs, presumably from like 1992, 1993, around there. So they got the ball rolling earlier. Um, but today we're going to be talking about the the grandfather of the fighting game genre. That would be Street Fighter II, uh, the animated movie. Um, so this came out in 1994. Um, this is, of course, uh, produced by Capcom, which is one of the foremost Japanese video game developers um, and publishers. Uh, this was directed by Gisaburo Sugi, uh, who is not a household name in the anime industry, as far as I know. Uh, he's a working director. He does stuff. Um, he's been working consistently. Um, the only big name thing that jumped out at me is he, wor- he worked on a space battleship, Yamato, which is a, a long, long-lived franchise in anime. Um, something that actually Kyle might like more than myself. I think uh, you've mentioned it, it a couple of times, yeah. Uh, space opera is the genre, and I feel like that's something that maybe would resonate with you on some level. You know, Probably. Kyle likes space. I love space. <laughs> I love space. Um, so he did Yamato, a few iterations of it. As far as I know, you know, every there's like a rule. Like every 10, 15, 20 years, you need to do something related to that franchise. Um, the other big one that jumped out at me in his filmography was uh, The Tale of Genji, uh, which I had to watch in college, and it was one of the most boring fucking things I've ever seen. <laughs> um, it's, it is art house animation. Oh, it, wow. It fucking goes nowhere. The animation is very flowery and, like, silky in the way it moves. Um, it's meant to look like a painting. Like, it has a, a flat quality to it, so it looks like ancient Japanese art. Um, it's beautiful to look at, but in terms of like emotionality and storytelling, it's like uh, this is 
barren. <laughs> so it was something I watched in the classroom and will never again revisit. Tough um, about Tarkovsky. Yeah. <laughs> um, but apparently this guy also did Street Fighter 2, the animated movie, which is maybe the complete opposite of what I just described. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, I think it's a little misleading uh, for them to put the animated movie in the title because this is, uh, this is for, it's not even for kids. That's the crazy thing. There's, there's boobs in this. Like, um, I could see you like being like seven years old and watching this and thinking like, this is awesome. Cause you're being tricked by the soundtrack. You get to see a naked Chun-Li, uh, is nothing sacred. You perverts. And, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's basically just like, big overdrawn beefcakes just like it it literally is just little fighting scenes but i did notice that with the animation um it's kind of like bad action movie uh scenes where it's like all kind of close up and you don't even really see what's happening yeah um that may have had to do with um this is a recurring com like talking point every time we talk about anime is uh anime is the business of cutting corners and uh it may have been budget related it's like you know figuring out the physics of how a, a human figure moves from head to toe on the on the frame uh, that's difficult that mm. takes a lot of time to draw however if you narrow the focus if you just show like the top half or a mo- or a body part moving that's a lot easier to conceive and and to draw uh, consistently um so maybe that was an aspect of the direction where it's like hey you know maybe maybe we need to cut corners where we can um when they don't do that uh, some of the fluidity of the animations are very impressive. Um, there's some martial arts stuff in this movie that's like uh, they went above and beyond to render it very well. But I agree with you. Yeah, sometimes the the camera's pushed in a little too close, and also the the, the lighting drives mm. me nuts. There are so many scenes in the dark where it's like I can't even tell where the person starts and the and the shadows begin. I don't want to say like the 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 uh, the dark scenes, but the night scenes I kind of liked. It kind of reminded me of Batman the animated series uh, a few times. Um, the Goon Squad, by the way. Uh, Dude, they are on DECA, testosterone, HGH, and I think they're all eating a cow a day because they are fucking monsters. <laughs> and bison is enormous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, I want to say this is a like a relic from, from this particular point in time where this is the mid-'90s. Um, you, if you look at like superhero art, um, of the day, like beefcake was in, mm-hmm. like like overly muscle, overly muscled, muscled. <laughs> dudes was was very in. We we nobody had a swimmer's build unless it was very intentional, like that was part of their character or something. Um, but actually, part of why I wanted to put this movie back to back with Fatal Fury is, um, I actually don't have as much love for this movie as I do Fatal Fury. I happen to like Fatal Fury quite a bit more than this one. Um, mostly because it feels like a movie um, and they really went out of their way to try to like tell a story and have some characterization this one is literally um, all the characters from the video game exactly like represented as the the way they were in the game but committed to animation so it's kind of awkward where uh, with the exception of Chun-Li and her her scenes <laughs> um, everyone's in their their quote uniform um, in every scene they're in and it's it comes across as really awkward and stupid it's like <laughs> hang on do you not have any casual wear 
<laughs> like, I mean, we get to see Ken like driving around Seattle, Washington. By the way, yes, <laughs> I thought that was really hilarious. Yeah, um, we get to see him in like casual wear and like driving around in his Porsche and stuff. But like everyone else is just always in the same clothes that they wear from the game. Whereas in Fatal Fury, there's like wardrobe changes every time they travel to a new location, which is the entirety of that movie. It's just travel scenes, like. It, they're jet setting constantly and it just feels like you know we're treating the characters as characters rather than action figures i guess did you watch when did you watch this for the first time how old were you <sighs> probably 11 or 12 damn so your parents were just like oh no it's just a street fighter animated movie no big deal not pretty not, much not knowing <laughs> naked chun Li in here <laughs> yeah i was probably 12 mm-hmm. and uh Actually, this movie, um, may as well throw it out there up front, um, was subject to some censorship um, in in various uh, regions. Uh, I think the version that you watched, Kyle, um, I'm guessing you watched the Amazon Prime version. Mm-hmm. I want to say that's uncut. It's just oh, okay. dubbed. Um, but when this film was first released in the U.S., uh, of course, the shower scene was, was cut. Not entirely, though. There, there were a couple of boob shots. Uh, not as much butt stuff. Um, but... There were still boobs, maybe a shot of boobs, and then the 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 slightly classy shot of the boobs through the frosted glass, mm-hmm. where it's like you can see the silhouette. You know what you're. It's like some Jessica Rabbit shit. <laughs> I think Japanese animator animators have a type, and they're also uh, they're boobs guys. They're not really butt guys. The boobs guys. Uh, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> Although you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they'll they'll come around because we we live it. We live in a very. Uh, international culture like everybody had everybody has access to the same internet if you try hard enough mm. so i wouldn't be surprised if we're they're looking at the same stuff that we are and they're starting to think i want some of that and <laughs> like, <laughs> start to see more butts in, in animation <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna probably compare and contrast and ask questions regarding mortal Kombat and street fighter because it's i feel like it's kind of hard to not talk about both at the same time because i mean as a kid those were like the two big games street fighter and mortal Kombat. Well, yeah they're, they're contemporaries in in some sense because street fighter 2 got the ball rolling fatal fury was riding their coattails it, the entire snk catalog uh, so SNK is like a rival to Capcom um, at this point in time. Not so much today, um, but they were kind of going head to head like Nintendo and Sega. And then over here, we had Mortal Kombat show up, I think, in like 95. And that was very shortly after Street Fighter 2 was firmly established. So it was like a new contender. And oh, it's got blood. <laughs> it's like difference maker right there. Um, and I think it's especially important too because it's like that's that's the lens through which you in particular watch this all unfold. It's like you, in my mind, you're firmly like a Mortal Kombat person yeah. rather than a Street Fighter person. I just that's, have more experience with it. Yeah, I've only exactly. played Street Fighter like one or two times because I never owned Street Fighter. I played it at like other people's houses, and mm. that was much more of like a uh, like Donkey Kong, uh, Rayman. Crash Bandicoot, like kind of the fun, like the poppy stuff, the fun stuff. Um, well, I mean, those are all platformers. Those mm-hmm. are all, you know, get to the end of the level and then win the prize. Whereas yeah. a fighting game is um, either Takes more skill. You know, well, it's it's a competitive endeavor where either you're facing a computer opponent that fucking cheats, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you're facing a human opponent that you'll tell you'll you'll scream and, at them that they cheat, 
when in actuality they're just better than you. <laughs> um, if you've been listening, uh, you know that Trevor is much more of a gamer, and I am not. I have had spurts of uh, of like gaming. Um, big uh, when the PlayStation came out, I played a lot of like the snowboarding game. Uh, played a lot of Tony Hawk Pro Skater Three. Uh, my brother and I got really into the Medal of Honor games, uh, like first person shooters. Those were a lot of fun. Um, and then I didn't really, I didn't really do much with video games for. Actually, I still don't really. But I was visiting my brother recently, and I played that Resident Evil Two game, the the one you had me start. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's did a, uh, did you really dig into it, or did you just like pick it up and say fuck this, I'm out? <laughs> oh no, like I I was in the police station for a couple of days. Like I played it the first day, and I played it the second day. I was there. Like I I was in that police station for a while. Okay. Did uh did you encounter Mr. X? I got two. I got two of the. The things that go on the statue. I got two of the things that go on the statue. I didn't. I haven't gotten to the third one yet. He saved my okay. game, so I can get back into it. Did Did you clear the helicopter? Hmm. Mm-hmm. You cleared the helicopter. So that fucking disgusting that that thing that's like jumping around. Okay, that's called a liquor. Okay. And it wants to kill you with its tongue. Yes. But there there is a dude that shows up in in the crash. The, yeah. Uh, yes, he shows up and he helps you clear the crash, um, because there's a blocked hallway. Oh no no no! He, I haven't gotten to him yet. Okay, well, you 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 get back to me when you do, because <laughs> <laughs> that that is a game changer. Oh, that elevates that game to a really totally different. It's level. very fun. I, I I'm really I was really enjoying that game. Um, it's more my more my speed. Um, yeah, but I was it gonna... is a little bit more. It's more like slowed down a bit. Uh, the the tension that comes from the zombies slowly closing in on you is nerve wracking, especially because mm-hmm. they are bullet sponges. Yeah, and I, the reason I I wanted you to see that game is because the lighting is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It, it, like, it is atmospheric as fuck. It is very atmospheric. I completely agree. That's a that's a head. Fu- I'm really. I think that all horror video games and movies should be either surround sound or headphones. You should not be able to escape the sound design in those because I think that makes it's like seventy percent of the atmosphere is canceling out all other noise. Um, the I wanted I, I prefaced the Mortal Kombat because I was going to ask you I think we've talked about it before, uh, so for me playing Mortal Kombat uh, I didn't really get much into the uh, the NES the SNES, uh, Super Nintendo uh, version of it uh, until after I played Mortal Kombat X which is a fucking blast that is one of the most fun games I've ever played and I almost bought an Xbox just so I could play it. Um, but I like to play with like Air Mac and I think everybody likes to play with Scorpion. Like that was like, everybody just was Scorpion and he's a good person to play with. And I really liked like Luke Kang, Air Mac, fucks with some Raiden, but, uh, I really kept coming back to Luke Kang cause he's just a great striker. Um, but back to like the uh, Super Nintendo game, um, as I was playing, I'm like, okay, I get the combos. Like there's some overlap. You still have to do like down, down B, down, down A kind of thing. Uh, who was your favorite Mortal Kombat character to play with? Because it seems like there is an abundance of beef in the uh, Street Fighter lineup as far as like choosing what character you want to play with. It's like there, there's all kinds of Red Rangers, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, multi-part question, so I'll try to my best to cover all of it. Um, Mortal Kombat and then Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah, so Mortal Kombat... Um, Mortal Kombat didn't become a thing to me until Mortal Kombat 2. Uh, most people most people agree that Mortal Kombat came into its own when it got to two. The first one, 
had the novelty of the blood and the fatalities. The fatalities were a huge part of the appeal of that game. Was that, that was something you didn't really see in games other than like barbarian on like the home computer where the whole point of the game was to line up your sword on someone's neck so you could lop their head off in one hit as opposed to like draining their life bar. Real quick, how, how when did Duke Nukem come into play? Uh, that would be like early 90s. I want to say Duke Nukem 3D was 96. Okay. Um, so Duke Nukem, at this point in time, when Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter were duking it out, was uh, a side-scrolling like platform shooter. So oh, okay. Like, so like think Donkey Kong Country with a gun, or like Contra, if you okay. if you know that one. I remember uh, Contra Three. My brother and I played a lot of Contra Three. It's, a, fucking it's game very is similar. Hard. To that. Yeah, Contra games are fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Mortal Kombat One, um, I remember we briefly owned the Super Nintendo game. Uh, I think my brother returned it hastily because he was like, fuck. <laughs> like fuck he he was actually very good about kind of that kind of stuff where he would get a taste for things and kind of understand that's like this has a limited shelf life in our home. Let's just get the fuck out of here before mm-hmm. we regret it. Um, so I remember we had it either that or we rented it, and uh, he he cheesed the fuck out of that game because he discovered that if you do a sl- if you do a sweep, the computer freaks the fuck out and doesn't know how to counter it. So, so he just, just sweep. Yeah. He just sweat. He beat the game with like every character just sweeping them continually until you get to Goro and you can't sweep him. Um, that's where jump kicks become the new tool. <laughs> that might be why I stopped playing it when I was. I think I played it a couple times when I was a kid and I was playing against somebody who knew that and they just kept sweeping me and I couldn't do anything. Like, this game's fucking stupid. I mean, pl- player on player, it wasn't a factor. It was more just a flaw in the AI. And also, games back then were made. Uh, with arcade principles in mind so they were they were meant to be kind of bitches like (laughs) they were meant to drain your quarters and sometimes they they do the home port and they wouldn't change that and so even though you have unlimited quarters you know for the home version Mm -hmm. the computer is still operating under the principle that it's in its best interest to make you lose as often as possible and it's just it just comes across as unfair and it becomes like a war of attrition where it's just like oh oh you're gonna cheat well i'm gonna cheat right back motherfucker (laughs) it's like i'm not i'm not gonna feel any guilt over tripping a computer (laughs) but mortal mortal kombat one um like most kids i want to say i was i was kind of all in on the the ninja characters i think i was always more partial to sub-zero rather than scorpion gotcha um because i i at that point in my life was very familiar with street fire 2 and i was a a ryu or a ryu slash ken player so i was all about the hadouken and the shoryuken and the, the pose for the freeze ball is the same as the Hadouken, so I was like, yeah, no, close enough. Plus, being able to freeze people and then uh, uppercut them was the whole point. That was the whole mechanic of Mortal mm-hmm. Kombat. Was in the first one, there was no combo system. You you either had like rapid punches to the stomach or the face, and then a single kick at a time, and the big the big hit that would take the most health was the uppercut. So it's like if you freeze them, well, there's no way to string a combo together. So uppercut. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, Mortal Kombat 2, I always liked the design of a Luke, of a Kung Lao. Uh, Kung Lao with the bladed hat. Ah, yes. Uh, he's, he's in uh, MKX. Um, very difficult to play in MKX, but very, very good. Um, his moves are a little bit more difficult. Um, his combos go on forever. <laughs> but he's great <laughs> if you can figure it out. But yeah, I, I think I continued to like the, the ninja characters. I, I, I liked uh, Reptile quite a bit. Jax was always awesome, mostly because of that gotcha grab. <laughs> um, uh, if you're familiar, 
basically he just reaches out it's a it's a command grab so you have to enter like a button combination to do it as opposed to like a normal throw he just reaches out he grabs you and he says gotcha <laughs> and then he starts punching you in the face <laughs> like he's like you're hockey fighting or something <laughs> but um what was your question about street fighter though about the characters so you you would go with ryu or ryu um funny story um i would when i was very young when i first started playing street fighter 2 i actually would play dalsim a lot the mm. indian the stretchy indian man uh, yes. the pre- the yoga fire man uh, i liked him because i wasn't very good at the game and i liked that he could hit you from across the screen with his stretchy limbs ah uh, my brother knew all the moves, and because he was my older brother, he wouldn't teach me all the moves. Um, so the whirlwind kick, the Tatsumaki Senpu kick, uh, mm. that Ryu and Ken do, he for, he would never tell me how to do that, and he'd always beat my ass with it. Um, and other than Dalsim, uh, who I couldn't do any of the moves for because I wasn't good enough at the time, um, very early in my life, I used a lot of the charge characters. Um, charge being uh, hold back for two seconds, press forward and an attack button, and they do a move. Mm. Um, so Guile, I did a lot of Guile because he had the Sonic Boom and the Flash Kick, which were both charge moves, and easy, very easy to do, as long as you grasp the concept of how to execute it. And uh, <laughs> I would try to use Blanca, but <laughs> never very successfully, especially since in Street Fighter Two, like the vanilla version, if you got hit during his ball, he'd take double damage. So it was like a double-edged sword in the extreme. Um, so yeah, I, I did a lot of Guile and Dalsim, to be honest. But I always liked the design of Ken and Ryu the most. So I, uh, I remember playing with Blanca, and I remember playing with Guile. So I think those were probably the two. Like, Ken and Ryu were just like, meh, they're just vanilla. Like, they're, they're that, like two by design. cages. Yeah. yeah. They, they, I mean, there's a reason why they... they uh, I think the term they use is Shoto, as in Shotokan, like, karate. Um, Shoto characters are characters that throw fireballs and have an uppercut that scales the, the height of the screen. Um, most fighting games have an equivalent. Where um, Liu Kang's kind of close to that. He doesn't have the uppercut move, but he does have high and low fireballs and a rushing kick. And mm-hmm. you need a vanilla character so people can new people can show up and have an idea of what to expect. I guess. Liu Kang, I, I really liked Liu Kang, uh, especially for Mortal Kombat X. He was surprisingly a good uh, kicker. Yeah, it, it's funny that you have so much appreciation for MKX because uh, as far as I understand, the fighting game community agrees with you. Um, a lot of people absolutely adore that mo- that, that game. Um, MK11, people are kind of like, mm, not, as, not as keen on. Hmm. Um, and I guess it, the whole point of it was they're trying to like slow it down and bring it more back to basics a little bit. Oh. Uh, so it's probably more approachable, but for like the hardcore folks, it's like mm, like MKX is much more flexible. It's more jazzy. You can mm-hmm. just like kind of do shit, and it will flow together. And it's like, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the opening was kind of like it just took forever. Like the. It was surprisingly a really, really long opening. It's like five minutes for just like kind of credits, but it was just like uh, uh, Ryu and Sagat kind of fighting. Yeah, um, actually, fuck. Now now I'm starting to think about that Tale of Genji uh, stuff because uh, remember how I was saying how slow that movie was and how it really doesn't, it kind of pond, it's kind of ponderous and meandering. It, it's really in no hurry to get anywhere. Um, there's a lot of that in this movie. Yeah. Um, and... Some of that, 
some of that is like i don't know some japanese shit <laughs> to be honest <laughs> no i mean like there's there's like a, a running gag about like serialized television like dragon ball is the prototypical example where you'll you'll have like a tense standoff scene with characters and then we'll cut to just a random shot of grass blowing in the wind or like a deer sniffing a flower and then back to the action <laughs> um and you see this in manga as well where you have a lot of you have a lot of establishing shots that are like beautifully rendered um it like and then they push the lens into the characters and it, it keeps jumping back and forth between that and it creates this like really laid back rhythm that explodes into these moments of intensity but in between all that it's just kind of like do 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 and yeah the opening of this movie and not only that the the shower scene that shower scene is like 10 minutes long <laughs> it feels 10 minutes long it's and uh, it, yeah it most of it is just shots of the city before we even get into the building and it's like what the fuck are we doing and what yeah the, doing? this whole opening sequence is it's beautiful to look at but like you said it drags ass and it's the opening of the movie i mean what what is bison's like end game so it's ever chun li is working for uh whatever the sh- whatever that side is uh, it's supposed to be Interpol. I Interpol, don't know if it okay. was actually said in this movie, but in the in the lore, that's what's supposed to be. Okay. Yeah, she's working for Interpol, and she's trying to recruit all these people. Meanwhile, Bison is trying to recruit, I guess, those same people and Ryu at the same time. Yeah, the the timeline of this movie is actually very confusing. Um, to this day, I'm still a little confused. Yeah. Uh, because the opening is this really iconic sequence where... Um, again, beautifully rendered. The animation is definitely great. Um, we're we're in the middle of like a thunderstorm in a grassy field, mm-hmm. and it's Ryu and Sagat going at it. Um, and this is supposed to take place a couple years before the events of the movie. Um, but in like the in the canon of the games, this is very confusing because Ryu and Sagat were supposed to Sagat was supposed to be the the world champion in the first Street Fighter tournament. It's a tournament. It's not something contested, you know, without an audience in the middle of the night in a thunderstorm. <laughs> it's like, like, so it's like, is this after they fought each other at the tournament? Um, and then, and then we, you know, cut ahead a couple of years, I guess, which isn't told to us. We mm-hmm. just kind of have to fucking sound it out. <laughs> you can kind of tell when we get back to the Ryu and Ken, like their stuff, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 But, uh, like, can, is it cammy the one the girl in the camo she's hot um she's barely <laughs> she's barely in this uh, no no she looks like a like a female crossfitter basically <laughs> there was one i had in mind i'm like she looks exactly like her i, I mean you're not wrong it's kind of like that that gymnast build mm-hmm. <laughs> but cammy 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 irritates me um because cam cammy's an insanely popular character i wonder why i wonder why uh, <laughs> i'm sure a lot of it has to do with her outfit and f- because Japan, maybe because she looks young, um, I've always hated her as a character. <laughs> her her story, her story is kind of like bleh. I mean, actually, this is accurate to her story in the games. Is that she was like a captive of Bison? She was brainwashed. Hmm. Uh, she was like MI six before that, and then she becomes free of him and all that. But I always just hated her move set because she was always so fucking good. Mm. And I just, I just hate her guts. Like she's in Street Fighter Five to this day. Like it's hard to make a Street Fighter game without her anymore because she's so popular. But 
<laughs> so, it, so it is accurate that Bison killed Chun Li's father. Yes, that's okay. that's been there since day one. That's okay. always going to be there. Um. So yeah. So so Ryu and Ken were like uh like uh, dojo buddies basically. They were under the same master. Yeah. Um. That's that's uh. This was actually an interesting point in Street Fighter history, because uh, this was, came out, um, I think, around the time Super Street Fighter came out. Super Street Fighter Two came out, so we had the full roster, as full as it was going to get at that point. Um, but like the backstory for the characters was still kind of up in the air. Um, Street Fighter Alpha, which would come right after this, was where everything really got more crystallized, and like Ken and Ryu's story in particular, kind of took center stage and became like bloated and, and incomprehensible um but yeah there's stories that they trained out of the same school i think their master's name was gulken and uh the style that they practice is it's referred to as like ansatsuken which translates like literally to like style of assassination ah. which is kind of strange being <laughs> being as neither of them strike me as assassins and in fact that seems grossly inaccurate um but yeah uh, them being dojo buddies was firmly in place by the time this this movie came out but um the character design for ken in those flashback scenes uh debuted in street fighter alpha long after this movie came out so they took that design that was made specifically for this movie and they put it in street fighter alpha which i thought was really cool Fei long is 100 percent bruce lee am i wrong <laughs> no you're not wrong um that was that's a thing um almost every fighting game ever has a bruce lee equivalent Okay. Um, Liu Kang touches on it a little bit. Um, World Heroes has a character named Dragon, who is literally the same as Fei Long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's like it's like a thing. Um, Tekken has Law, who uh-huh. especially in the first game is literally Bruce. In Tekken Three, they even like modeled his face to look pretty much like Bruce Lee. My brother and I played a lot of Tekken Three. That was a very fun game. Oh, everybody did. Tekken 3 was fantastic. Soul Blade <laughs> was one that my cousins had that I always played when I went over to their house. Soul, yeah, uh, Soul Blade is made by the same people who made Tekken. You can probably mm. tell. Yeah, um, it makes sense. Even as a casual observer, you can kind of tell. It has a similar feel to it. Um, those games, those Soul Blade and Soul Calibur games, are they might get my vote for like the best casual fighting game because the rounds are very fast. Uh, the gameplay mechanics are structured in such a way that you can just mash buttons mm-hmm. and you can get results <laughs> and the rounds go so fucking fast that you can't get upset at it um so yeah as like a pick up and play fighting game for like fighting game casuals and whatnot that's, that's a fun one it's like it's fun. hard to get mad at soul caliber as soon as i saw Fei long i'm like huh he kind of looks like bruce lee and then he's like oh he started doing the, the bruce lee stuff I'm like okay that's bruce lee and then i couldn't help but think both of my hands are registered as lethal weapons. <laughs> <laughs> I was half expecting him to say, you know, boards don't hit back. <laughs> like, you know, something. Or it is like a finger pointing <laughs> to the moon. <laughs> like something. But unfortunately, the dub, um, which folks at home, we did watch the dub. Mm-hmm. I actually have never seen the original Japanese version of this movie. Hmm. Um, never. Um, I would be curious to see it. it it's not going to make it better. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it really isn't. Um, not going to make it a movie. But, <laughs> but um, unfortunately, the dub in this movie, um, whoever they got to do Fei Long, um, he sucked. <laughs> he couldn't do the Bruce Lee noises, the duck calls, and he. 
everybody sounds wrong for the most part in this movie like ken and ryu's voice is ryu in particular he sounds like a surfer bro he, he sounds does. like he sounds Whoa. like he should be chasing patrick swayze like yeah. and and you know catching some killer waves a couple of times it sounded like keanu it did really sound like him a few times i'm just a japanese guy taking in a fight <laughs> whoa uh, <laughs> fei long station uh, hot to get I just, read, I just read one of the writers from bill and ted's bo- uh, bogus journey uh mm. said that that was a typo like that wasn't supposed to be in there it was like supposed to be as part a part of the script where it just says station and then the scene <laughs> and then they were drunk writing it and they just kept yelling station Station, and it somehow made it into the uh, into the film. So it was a uh, Hercules: The Legendary Journeys incident. I'm yeah. not sure. Are Are you familiar with the disappointed meme? Uh. Uh-uh. Okay. Well, yeah. Look it up, please. <laughs> Kyle's scrambling for his phone as I speak. Uh, so um, the story goes, and uh, Kevin Sorbo attempted to refute this, as far as I understand. Um, He's playing evil Hercules, so they're doing the evil Captain Kirk thing where he has facial hair, mm-hmm. and he says, this isn't my world. Disappointed! <laughs> and the legend goes that when oh, he I says disappointed, yeah. it's because in the script it said that's what the intonation's supposed to be, in like parentheses, disappointed. So he just verbalized disappointed rather than said the line in a disappointed tone. <laughs> so station it. disappointed yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm kind of looking forward to bill and ted 3 um i'm ca- i don't think it's going to be good i'm kind of worried uh but we're getting it it should be out in a couple weeks here i, I think it's gonna be fun he said shut your holes <laughs> <laughs> Was that a Robo Bill or Ted? That's Robo Ted. I think that's uh, Robo Ted, yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> I'm so glad you made me watch that. It was it's great. It's so great. I'm surprised it took you so long. Um, <laughs> so we get a bunch of like just meetings and little fights. Um, Ken and Ryu, we get their buddies, Kim with the babe. They're not fighting. Uh, Fei Long and Ryu, Bruce Lee. <laughs> um, we get Ken and T-Hawk. T-Hawk is in and out of this thing like fast yeah um so we we talked at length about this in the fatal fury the motion picture episode um about fan service mm-hmm. um so this movie is essentially constructed entirely on a foundation of fan service <laughs> um uh chun li's shower scene is the prototypical example of of fan service in anime yeah um but the other end of it that we talked about again in last week's episode was um characters showing up and doing the wrestling thing where they just do their finisher and then they're out it's like we don't need any more we don't need any more hardcore holly than that he just needs to come out do the drop kick and roll out of the ring just Mm. roll under that bottom rope and get the fuck out (laughs) um and yeah that's a lot of the characters in this like the lesser characters the people who have nothing to do with the threadbare plot in this film um like fei long shows up he actually gets to do some stuff he gets to say some fucking lines um, but yeah, he has a scrap with Ryu. It's actually one of the cooler fights in the movie. Um, I love that they do it in like the classic like fighting pit, like the mm-hmm. fighting arena. Think like uh, was it Guy Ritchie, uh, Sherlock Holmes, or, or uh, yes, uh, Snatch that that kind of situation. Um, and Fei Long gets to do his uh, Shinkuk move, where his leg catches fire and he goes up to the ceiling, and Ryu does his whirlwind kick and stuff. We get to see some moves. Um, and 
T-Hawk, though, all he doesn't get to do shit. <laughs> and I hope I hope they didn't slip in in my hope, Kyle, is that they that they they did not slip him into that scene in particular because it takes place in Seattle, and they're like, we're we're Japanese. Seattle, Native American, maybe these things. Go- <laughs> I don't think I don't know if they. Would I don't made think that connection. so. I don't think so, especially since, as far as I recall, um, his his stage, like his arena in the video game, uh, was Mexico. So he was he was uh-huh. from that part of of the Americas, not not, not gotcha. the Pacific Northwest. That makes more sense. I was gonna say it makes sense why uh, Fei Long would be in the Seattle area. Cause, well, uh, actually, that that's a funny thing that I noticed was, uh, for whatever reason, the Amazon Prime version of this movie, um, it is uncut. And I think as a consequence of that, all of the location changes, uh, the the script, the titling, the, like the on-screen captions are written in Japanese. Yeah. So, but without an English equivalent. <laughs> so, so I was like, I was thinking about you, like... Oh, does Kyle know where we are? Does yeah, Kyle yeah, yeah. care where we are? <laughs> I think someone mentions they they say where they're going before they go to the places, and in Vegas was very easy to pick. Oh yeah, no, we have a lot of establishing shots. Um, actually, that's just this is like almost across the board, just in Japanese animation in general. All the establishing shots, all the locations, the background paintings, fantastic, gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Speaking of Vegas, um, I. Uh, casino has been on my mind for a few weeks now and uh, I had Clearly. some time and I actually watched it the other night um, great idea uh, I really enjoyed it uh, it's a good movie um, I will agree going back that I think that the Sharon Stone character uh, does take up a bit too much of the time uh, but it it's still I still think I still think it's a you know a great movie but I never noticed that Joe Pesci's character is playing, he's a gangster from Chicago, and I never picked up on his accent in the film. Really? Yeah, I never picked up on that. Oh, wow. Yeah. You, I always thought there was a like fun a element of it. Dennis Franz, he sounds like Dennis Franz uh, a bit, or even, uh, oh, what's the guy from Another Stakeout and uh, Snatch? Oh, Dennis Farina. He kind of got like a yeah. Dennis Farina sound to him. Yeah, um, no, he was doing an acting thing. <laughs> acting! Well, he, acting! Well, anytime he plays a mobster, I just think it's, you know, uh, you know, East Coast Joe Pesci from Jersey or something. Um, but yeah, I just picked up on that. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, sorry, uh, but yeah, I was like, it makes sense that Bruce Lee would be in Seattle because he went to UW. Um, but let's see, who else we've got here? we got Ken, Ken and T-Hawk, and then we've yeah. got some Spilt Milk. Which was I like I don't understand what that's all about, um, <laughs> but E Honda and Dalsim. So I had to have a I had a Google page open because I'm like I know visually if you were to like show me one of these characters on a post or somewhere I'm like I know that person's from Street Fighter, but I don't know their names. So I'm I as soon as I saw I'm like oh E Honda I'm like oh Dalsim I'm like uh, Ryu I'm like all right I'm remembering these now a little bit but I had to look <laughs> them all up and then like the Russian guy I'm like what the fuck was his name Zangief. I mean, he comes up like every other week on the show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, T Hawk and Ken they throw down in Seattle, uh, like at the docks. Um, the the way the the progression of the plot in this movie works, and I'll just lay it out right here because there really is not much to it. No. Um, basically, we have M Bison. He's trying to kidnap the best fighters on the planet uh, to brainwash them to recruit into his army. Which, depending on who you ask, is either pronounced Shadow Law or Shadow Shadowloo. 
Um, I believe it's written in Japanese, Shadowloo. Um, gotcha. But they, in the dub, they say Shadow Law, and it's written in English, Shadow Law. So whatever the fuck that means. Anyway, um, he's, he's eyeballing Ken and Ryu because um, he has these cyborg agents that he's sending around the planet to, like, scout everybody like recruitment scouts yeah. <laughs> um, and uh they have some sort of algorithm that they use to observe people and it actually computes like a number value for their fighting ability and ken and ryu are outstanding um and apparently he doesn't give two shits about t-hawk and fei long um, <laughs> even though you know fei long can set his foot on fire and fly into the air at will i would imagine that that's like useful to have but whatever <laughs> how much better would this have been if raul julia did the voice of bison in this movie you know i mean everything would be better if you had <laughs> raul julia involved um doesn't matter who he's playing for whatever reason um yes. but I actually, I thought the guy who did Bison's voice in the English dub is one of the better parts of this, just because he is so fucking hammy. Mm. And not only that, we get um, so there's there's a couple of staples of a '90s um, '90s anime brought to the states um, in this movie. Uh, so one of those uh, comes from the soundtrack, which we will get to. Yeah. Um, and the other is the the needless addition of curse words in the script. <laughs> which was the thing that they were doing in uh in dubbing houses um covering japanese animation in the 90s where i didn't even notice that it's hilarious because it's just like okay we're, that didn't make the sentence any more coherent but sure like there's a great scene where bison is in his automated chair which he's doing like a dr evil thing mm -hmm. where like every beat of the conversation so like every time he finishes a sentence he spins around <laughs> like he turns his back to the camera and then he like faces the side and then he faces front again it's more like the emperor it's more like the emperor from episode six okay yeah like... I'll, I'll go with you on that <laughs> yeah kyle's doing a slow rotation where you you keep your eyes trained forward like you don't turn your head to follow the flow of the chair but no, there's a great part where like the doctor's like saying like, oh, like we have such and such people that we need to abduct and like like we're in trouble. We gotta take care of our international operations. And he just kind of like is slowly turning. He's like, <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> I and like his... anybody who can beat the crap out of Sagat is worth my time. <laughs> I like his white eyes. I like that's kind of a cool touch. Yeah. Um, calling back to the design work. Uh, so we have Ken. Um, we have flashback scenes, which I, lo I love the soft focus they put on the flashback scenes in this movie. Um, they're really cool looking because they're convinced, like the character designs are altered so they convincingly look younger and feel younger. Um, and Ken with his much longer hair and with the bandana tied around like the middle part of his like hair, like the ponytail. Uh, like I said, that would find its way into the next game in the series, Street Fighter Alpha, because it's a fucking cool design. <laughs> and uh, same with M. Bison. Uh, M. Bison uh, only kind of looked like this in the games at this point. Um, I, I call this design uh, Beefy Bison uh, because, like you said, he is a beef fucking cake. He is oh, yeah. thick. Yeah, they're eating, <laughs> they're eating steak and, like, ground-up chicken protein shakes. <laughs> ground-up children. <laughs> there was a, I was reading, uh, like, in a Muscle and Fitness magazine, uh, one of those uh, strongman dudes, uh, basically his protein shakes were... Uh, he would uh, blend chicken breasts with water, and that would be his protein shake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah, those dudes are fucking nuts, dude. <laughs> I just watched that the other day, actually. What? Um, the Arnold uh, Classic. Strong oh, the Arnold Man Classic. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, 2020. 
um, no with with COVID rules. So the audience was only athletes participating in the events. Oh, really? Yeah. It was it was massively entertaining. <laughs> and, the and filled with massive people. I was say, does the mountain? Does he do the Arnold Classic? Yes, he does. No kidding. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I stumbled across it on the YouTube. I, I seem to do that like for the past it couple happens. years. I just kind of find it, and I'm like, oh, I'll watch that. That's fun. <laughs> One of my buddies sent me uh, the Joe Rogan experience with uh, Post Malone. He's like, you got to listen to the first part. It's really funny. I'm like, yeah, I can't do that because <laughs> then Joe Rogan clips are going to pop up on my uh, on my YouTube. I'm like, Your algorithm will be fucked. Fucked. <laughs> yes, fucked. <laughs> it's already fucked right now, but it's. I don't need it to be more fucked than it already is. Uh, I've been uh, telling my girlfriend for a while now. It's like your your Netflix is gonna be fucked. <laughs> you invited me into your home, <laughs> dude. My Spotify. I'm like want to fist fight my Spotify because it's like, oh here's here's your uh, your recommended weekly where they give you like a playlist of stuff you want to listen to. I'm like, you guys put five rap metal songs on my playlist. They put POD on there. I'm like, what are we what are we doing here? What what made you think I wanted to listen to POD? I was I was getting very upset. I haven't even looked at I haven't even looked at it this week. My Discover Weekly. I don't even know what it is this week. It could be insane. <laughs> Fucking POD. Are you kidding me right now? But yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, I call this design a beefy bison because, um, like I had said about Ken, they they took the design from this movie and they applied it to the next game. Um, they kind of did that with Bison. This where um, the Street Fighter Two version of of Bison was. Not slim by any means, but he was much smaller, more slight of frame. And uh, not only that, uh, he would discard his cape as soon as the fighting started in the game. Like, ah. he wore it as a prop at the at the introduction of the fight, but he'd take it off. And uh, in Street Fighter Alpha, though, he always had his cape, and he was dick. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the white eyes thing, I always liked. Um, in fact, uh, there's there's been, like, a... Uh, like a chicken and egg kind of argument about uh, this, the character design for this because there's a an anime that uh, I, I think I've told you about and you were actually curious about because you saw some of the art from it. It's called a Doomed Megaopolis and it, it has a character doing this, like going like this with like with the sharpened teeth and mm-hmm. a very similar hat to M. Bison. In fact, the character design looks almost identical. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. the, yes, you, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Um, you've seen the cover art at the very least, and uh, I don't know which came first because they're, it's an excellent design, <laughs> but M. Bison is definitely the one that's endured um, much more so than that one. But, you know, who 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 did it first, who did it best? Um, apparently M. Bison did it best either way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, kind of like this middle section is we just kind of learn a little bit more about Ken and Ryu. Ryu? Ryu. 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 I've always said Ryu. Um, I mean, you're American. That's that's how we all say it. <laughs> Rye bread, R-Y, Ryu. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to send you a, a song by a band I uh, I still kind of like, uh, but the song's called Demons with Ryu. And it's about, <laughs> it's, it, it's kind of like the one I sent you um, about uh, Halo. It's kind of video game themed, but it's a little, okay. it's a little bit cooler. I think it's a little bit cooler because the one about Halo is like, it's just kind of a fun song. It's just like a joke. Um, but yeah, so this middle section is kind of just learning about them. And we just get like fan service characters because I'm like, we get um, E. Honda and Ryu, Dalsim and E. Honda. Um, you get, what's his name? Uh, DJ? Uh, DJ. I so who was the big beefcake that's with, uh, so you've got 
Sagat, Vega, and then who is the other guy? Uh, well, <laughs> so this is a thing that comes up in Street Fighter talks, and this is why they actually have specific terminology when they do tournaments for these games. Uh, is because there's a regional difference um, between the naming of the characters for uh, copyright purposes or, or trademark purposes, what have you. Um, so they're called the Four Kings, uh, the bad guy characters. So you have M. Bison at the top, uh, you have Vega, you have Sagat, you have Balrog, um, who is the one you're missing. Um, so folks at home, let me just lay it out in case you don't know. M. Bison in Japan is named Vega. Uh, Vega, the guy with the mask and the claw, is named Balrog in Japan. Okay. Sagat is always Sagat. <laughs> Balrog is named Mike Bison in Japan. My, the Mike Tyson Foundation, the estate of the Tyson family, took dispute with that. <laughs> so Capcom decided maybe we should stop calling him Mike Bison. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's he's drawn to look like Mike, Mike Tyson. Tyson. He gotcha. is Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was kind of a big deal in the 90s um, in the early 90s in particular and not only that you know the one of his most noteworthy fights in his career happened to take place in japan and they they really took to him uh, you can you can see boxers he's hitting get cte and dementia as they're falling down <laughs> that's how hard of a hitter he was <laughs> It was insane. I'm, I still don't know. Is there anybody else that can hit like that? I mean, Joe Rogan will tell you Francis Ngannou, um, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Ernie Shavers, as a heavyweight boxer, was noted as one of being, he was one of the hardest hitters in, in the history of the division. Uh, Who's that six foot, he's like six foot five uh, British fighter with like the poor physique. I can't think oh. of his name. Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury is 6'9", son. He's a monster and big boned. (laughs) Um, He's not known to be a a super hard hitter, though. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, I'm like, that's the kind of guy you would think he would kill somebody with one punch. But yeah, I've seen his highlights. I'm like, he's he's, he's entertaining to watch, but yeah, you'd think he'd be knocking more motherfuckers out. No, I mean, a punch is one part technique, one part genetics. And Mm. some guys are fucked when it comes to the genetics part uh Pauli Malignaggi was born with pillows for hands um, i feel i feel for that man <laughs> well tyson tyson's like 5'9 maybe 5'10 but his i think he's probably got like a 38 inch waist maybe a 40 inch waist like he's just he's got the he's power a brick. there yeah, yeah he's, he's a, a he's a brick he is a brick shit house <laughs> <laughs> but on the other end of that though you have thomas hearns who is six foot two 147 pounds um yeah, <laughs> he was a he was a scarecrow with with explosive hands. <laughs> I was gonna say I weigh more than one hundred and forty seven pounds. I mean six I, foot two. <laughs> I was gonna say I could get down to one forty seven for fighting a wrestling weight, but I don't walk around one forty seven. Uh, six foot two with arms down to his knees, and uh, he would whip his shots, and he would take people's heads off. <laughs> Monstrous punch. Wiry, 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 But um, yeah, Sorry, his name is Balrog, um, and or Mike Tyson, depending. Um, but in tournaments, be- to avoid confusion among international audiences, they've taken to referring to the characters as uh, Claw for Vega, um, Boxer for Balrog, and uh, Dictator <laughs> for for <Empisa. laughs> <laughs> just so everybody like the japanese audience know who's who they're talking about i guess um but yeah a dj uh 
DJ was, uh, I think, the last of the the brand new characters that were introduced around the time this movie came out. So that would include Cammy, T Hawk, Fei Long, and DJ. Um, DJ is very strange in this movie because he does shit all. Like <laughs> he does, he does nothing. Um, he's introduced in Los Angeles. Um, we have some sort of hip hop track playing uh, during his introduction because we have a lot of licensed music, and this is a partial Sony Music Entertainment production, uh, so we get you know cross promotion there. Um, the reason why this is all jarring to me is that DJ, even in the game, is from Jamaica. <laughs> why is he in Los Angeles? <laughs> well, I wrote down. I think I wrote down Balrog. I'm like, no, that's not right. DJ. And then I'm like, wait, I, look, I wrote down Balrog, and then he's like, uh, he says something about music. I'm like, oh, it's DJ. And then they say his name. And I'm like, you fucking racist. But now I know that I'm not racist. It's just everybody's got fucking, it's, it's literally like Lord of the Rings where everybody has fucking three names. This is his dwarvish, dwarvish name. This is his elvish name. This is his name by the Eldar. This is DJ the Grey. <laughs> <laughs> but what I thought was funny is he's supposed to be Jamaican, and yet the voice actor... Despite this being, you know, a point in time in which nobody would take issue with the fact that, you know, we're pro- we probably have a white guy in the studio and he's probably just taking it for a walk. He's Des- ready. He's ready to do it. Yes. In, in spite of that, though, he didn't really take it for a walk and do a really bad Jamaican accent. He just like tried to do like a stereotypical like black street tough voice or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, you missed an opportunity to be as offensive as possible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I meant to ask you. So, this kind of character has come up numerous times in the movies. I think the majority of the movies we, the anime movies we've watched, this character comes up. What is it with the fucking Danny DeVito-sized dude in these movies? I think Ghost in the Shell had one. I'm gonna say it the hand in uh, Ham- Va- uh, Vampire Hunter D. I'm gonna say the hand is one of those. There's a couple. I think uh, Princess don't, Mononoke has one. Don't forget the the Barbaroy in Vampire Hunter D. The guy with the unicycle. Oh, you're right. What about Yoda? Uh, Yoda. Um, is there one in Ninja Scroll? I feel like there's one in Ninja Scroll. Absolutely. Yeah. Princess Mononoke. Princess. Mo- yeah. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton voiced him in the dub. That's <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> he was my favorite part of that Dead Man movie. Um, the so there's one in this movie as well. What is it with that character? Um, that character archetype. Well, I mean, this is, again, this calls back to previous episodes we've done about Japanese animation. This is part of why I kind of started to pump the brakes and kind of get out of the game a little bit. It was the, it just too too many tropes. Um, Japanese are very, very, very big on tradition. And not only that, they're very big on um, paying homage or tribute to those who came before. Um, like, it's it's the same principle as, like, coming from a school. Where like you're taught a specific way to do an art form, and unlike unlike in the West, where we're strongly encouraged to to strike out on our own and individuality is like everything. Yes. Um, a lot of the time, a lot of the times when it comes to like methodology and whatnot, there's there's like a sense of pride that comes from doing it exactly as you were instructed to, where it's like I'm representing my peers. Um, gotcha. I don't. I don't need to put my personal stamp on it because I'm just prideful in the fact that I did the work. That's why the manga industry is really fascinating to me. Is because um, almost every Japanese comic you'll read usually has a single author attached to it, who's usually also the artist. However, he's not the only person doing the work. He has assistants who are also drawing those panels, but they're largely uncredited. 
and they don't take issue with it because that's the what's the way their dad did it that's the way their grandpa did it and so on and so forth so intellectual property is a little bit more of a gray area I mean, they have the same laws that we do. We're not talking like China shit. We're, we're, we're it's the Wild West. Um, but yeah, I guess your your ownership of a larger property is it's it's probably just it's probably just not talked about as often as it is here, where people kind of flip their oh, shit. Yeah. Where it's like, I need my credit. I need my name on it. Oh yeah, you or, can't. You got to be like. There's literally that's something that I could I could major in 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 law school. I was like, no, you like, should. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to consider that. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, I mean, like case in point, um, Image Comics, uh, Spawn, mm-hmm. uh, Image Comics. I thought it was Dark Spawn. Horse. No, no, Image Comics. Uh, Image Comics was founded by a bunch of Marvel artists who separated from Marvel because because of exactly what we're talking about because they didn't have ownership of the books that they're working on and the characters and the intellectual property that they're working on. So the story goes that like the guy who invented Wolverine reaped none of the benefits that came of that, you know, massive merchandising, you know, property. He just he got paid a single time and then forevermore Wolverine belonged to the <gasps> Marvel company. So yeah, Stan, he got fucked. yeah. So Stan Lee or whoever whoever was in charge at the time was basically doing what uh, businessmen did to black musicians in the uh, in the blues era. Basically, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give you uh, ten bucks for all your songs, and then just fucking made a killing on all the uh, all the sales. Yeah, it's the same as like if you invent something and you you hand over the rights to the tec- the technology to like an early investor or something. Like they're, you know, whatever comes of that is going to go directly into their pocket. But, you know, you get that initial payout and then hmm, maybe that wasn't a good idea. But, yeah, Image Comics was founded exactly for the reasons we're talking about, where Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, um, Rob Liefeld and two other guys that are escaping me. at the t- um, Mark Silvestri, I think, was the one guy. And then there's one more. Can't remember his name. He's Filipino, though. <laughs> um, anyway. Don't try to think all, of his name. <laughs> yeah. They all separated from Marvel and founded Image Comics, where okay. the entire principle, the entire founding principle of the company was every every person who creates a, an intellectual property under the Image umbrella takes ownership of that property. Um, so, yeah, in, in the case of, like, manga and stuff, I guess, you know, there is a single creative voice. So, as far as I know, you don't have, like, um, intellectual property disputes, but in terms of like the legwork of actually producing the product, yeah, there's a lot of people that probably don't get credited. Um, and I've kind of lost track of what we're talking about. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a DJ, we were talking about DJ. Oh, then, we were talking about DJ. And, 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 <laughs> and like uh, rights and stuff like that. Um, there's a fucking cyborg in here because throughout the film there is what I thought was Sagat. Um, kind of watching, but I guess there's a cyborg with the weird eye. Uh, the yeah. Oh, eye. oh, we were talking about the little guys. In yes, the Japanese little guys. Animation. Yes. So the the point I was trying to make is that the little guy is a trope gotcha. of, Jap- of Japanese uh, animation and comics, where um, there's there's a a handful of character archetypes that it's like visual shorthand, mm-hmm. where you could just by this by their silhouette or like their body language or like the construction of their face. You, the viewer, if you're in the know, can already understand what that character represents. Um, there's a thing that um, there's a character named Doronjo um, from uh, Yataman or Yatterman. That this is from like the 1970s. Um, that you see this over and over and over again in Japanese animation, where it's it's a hot chick 
and a tall skinny dude and a short fat guy <laughs> and they're like recurring villains that keep showing up and being foiled by the hero or something maybe and it's, it's because that became a thing at a very specific point in time and then it bore influence forevermore and you keep just seeing similar things to that maybe psychologically it just helps because it's like listen dude you're never going to be Ken or Ryu you are not built like that okay you are never going to get Chun-Li it's never going to happen but you can be happy because you're not that little thing. <laughs> just be happy you're not that little thing. Because uh, it sucks to be him. So just be happy with what you have. Um, you just hear like a squeaky voice in the background. Hey. hey. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of like tropes that we have uh, like in certain genres. Um, I feel like the, the Westerns have probably, I, if I watched enough, I would say there was probably... Um, the overconfident villain. I think that's probably something. Um, I mean, there's a reason why the the phrase black hat and white hat bears meaning. Yeah. Uh, it comes from Western culture where there's usually a, a bad guy represented with a black hat. And yeah, overconfident villain is pretty conf- is pretty uh, common. Like we saw that in Unforgiven and even uh, Gene Hackman kind of plays the same thing, although he kind of walks the walk and talks the talk in a, uh, was it? Three Ten to Yuma, or no, 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 the the Quick and the Dead. Quick and Dead. Thank you. Yeah. Who did Three Ten to Yuma? Was that way before him? I mean, it's a remake, so I don't know who did the original. I was gonna say the original. Shout out to fucking Russell Crowe stabbing the shit out of that dude while he was sleeping. That's fucking badass. That's a badass movie death. But yeah, there's a fucking cyborg. I really just want to get to the showering scene. That's what I was talking about. There's a like a very short, old, lecherous scientist man who works for M. Bison for yeah. Shadow Lou or Shadow Law, and uh, he he's created these cyborgs that he sent out around the planet to scout all the best fighters. And for every one of these vignettes where we get to see one of the one of the titular street fighters doing their thing, um, usually we'll also get a POV shot from the perspective of one of these cyborgs that's monitoring them. And uh, we get to see some interesting animation tricks um, when we do the POV shots, because this is early CGI in Japanese animation. And the- uh, we do some neat stuff, especially in Seattle, where uh, the robot, they they position him on a, a boat. Uh, so he's watching from a boat that's like bobbing up and down mm-hmm. while he's watching uh, T-Hawk and Ken throw down. T-Hawk loses, by the way. <laughs> and uh, the POV shot, though, mimics the bobbing motion. And so we have... Like everything shot from the the POV of these cyborgs is put through like a grainy green filter. So think uh, the night vision from Jurassic Park. Mm. Um, and this is more than likely to disguise the blemishes in the technology at the time because see, ni- 94 in Japan CGI, not really the best. <laughs> um, but if you put it through a few filters, it looks pretty nice. Um, but yeah, they they like separate all the objects on different planes, so it. It really looks nice, actually. It's definitely like somebody went above and beyond to make that look right. No, I think I think the mate. I don't think CGI was on point until the Matrix. Like that, that basically revolutionized CGI. Well, yeah. I mean, it was mostly misused, where it's just like it's a thing. Jurassic Park made it very fashionable, but mm. the the thing that studios and filmmakers weren't taking into account is it's like it's a very specialized tool. It only looked that good because they put in the fucking the prep work sparingly yeah yeah it, uh, well it's sparingly and 
it's it's mostly just prep it's it's like cooking a really fancy dish in the kitchen where it's like mm-hmm. if you get all your prep in line it it can go pretty smooth if yeah. you don't it can, it can turn to a, a fucking mess yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so bison has got a full-on erection for a chun li and he's just like oh who's that chick yes i need her for my team <laughs> I'm sorry, he's creep showing it, dude. He is fucking creepy. I mean, the cy- the cyborg, the 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 acting independent mm-hmm. of its own free will. The cyborg lingers over her chest. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> it just like drops down. One, two, three, four. Keep not, going down. Not socially acceptable, cyborg. <laughs> I don't care if you're hiding in the back row. That is, it's a quick look and move on, sir. I'll give you a tip: sunglasses. Um, yeah. Peripherals. Use your peripherals. <laughs> um so yeah so he's got the hots for chun li uh zangief kind of pops in here with uh blanca yeah uh so i believe this is in las vegas it's uh we we pay lip service to the fact that we're trying to like give a decent reason as to why these fights all happen like in the case of ryu and fei long uh, it's like a it's a betting pool so like everybody's tossed in the middle they fight people bet on it by the way, there is one shot at the end of that fight that, like, I thought about it, like, with my, with my, uh, I don't know, analytical brain. I was like, fuck, like, why did they do that? So, basically, there's a guy who's betting on the fight, and uh, he's disappointed that Fei Long loses, and uh, he drops a wad of cash on the floor. And it's such a simple thing. In live action, it would be a totally innocuous, just nothing shot. But in animation, they tilt the camera down and they follow all the bills of cash down to the floor and each of these individual like grossly detailed bills of money are hand animated and some some fucking animator (laughs) had to take into account the physics of the paper fluttering to the floor for each of those individual props it's it's just a couple of seconds of footage, but it's one of those things that I keep bringing this up when we whenever we talk about animation. That's like if you think about that from a logistical point of view, that is a lot of man hours committed to absolutely nothing, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> but if you just watch that like two seconds of footage, it's like, fuck, that was a lot of work. <laughs> I couldn't do that. <laughs> but yeah, the the fight with Zangief uh, and Blanca is like a it's like a an upscale like party of some sort so it's 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 typical underground fighting shit but with like people (laughs) in suit typically (laughs) i mean like lionheart the van damme movie had like the swimming pool fight and like a parking lot fight this this is like the ballroom fight like this 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 is with people ladies in dresses and dudes in suits and lots of coke (laughs) side note when we get to our swords and sandals or our swords month uh, or some kind of, of fighting month again. Uh, I, I want to do Highlander because I need a reason to actually sit all the way through it because I have no idea what's happening in that. I, I still don't understand what what the problem is, and I, I don't I don't know if that's wise, Kyle, because, you know, Highlander is a very divisive film series. Uh, not the series, into- just the first one. <laughs> I know, but even that, it's like you're either into it or you're not. Russell Mulcahy is a very strange director. I do maintain that he has very strong visual sense. Um, his editing is usually, there's always something to it. 
but in terms of like characterization and storytelling, he's got some weaknesses. Um, <laughs> he's big got time. some problems. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's on you. If you pick that, I'll do it. Okay. I like. I actually like Highlander. I think it's trashy fun. I'm not gonna but bash it's okay. it, but it's like one of those things that you're supposed to read for class, and you're just like, wait a minute, what happened? And then you get into class and you start discussing it. You're like, oh, okay, kind of like when we did the uh, the dark backwards. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> where your your brother managed to shed some light on that, and I was like, okay, I, okay, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I he salvaged that. He really did. I'd like to get his. I think he would have that. Uh, the naked lunch. Had I known what I was getting myself into. I feel like that would have been an interesting one for Matt to be on. Um, I'll have to ask him if he's listened to that episode. See if or if he's, he's seen it, yeah. I'm sure he saw it probably a long time ago, though. I, I have it on I have it in my criteria, so I could I can lend it if he hasn't seen it. Okay, well, I'll, I'll ask him, see if he's heard it before. Okay. Um, but anyway. But, um, anyway, uh, Zangief and Blanca is a very quick one. Uh, again, everybody trots out their finishers Zangief doesn't get to do his spinning lariat but he does get to do the spinning pile driver uh not terribly well animated um we get the ascent like when he's spinning up into the air looks fantastic the impact uh dropping Blanca sitting on Blanca's head <laughs> when they hit the ground um this this is not a Jerry the King Lawler pile driver as done to um what's his what's his face uh man on the moon oh <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Andy yeah, Kaufman. Yeah, Andy Kaufman. Yeah, it's not that level of pile driver. It doesn't have that oomph to it, um, which is unfortunate because, like I said, the ascent, like the buildup to the actual pile driving aspect of the move, is fantastic. And then the impact, it's like, oh, that didn't look like it hurt at all. <laughs> you need to watch Jim and Andy because Jerry Lawler about gets his hands on Jim Carrey and he's about to beat the shit out of him. Cause, I mean, he's always had temper problems. <laughs> yeah. He like, grabs a hold of me. He's like, I can do that anytime I want. Anytime I want. And like and Jim Carrey's being an ass. You're still a big guy. You're oh, still a big guy. I, like, you, you're rooting for Jerry Lawler in that documentary. <laughs> you're like, get a hold of him and just pop him one good time. Just that, mm. Like where you hold him down and just get that one square in the nose where he, yeah, where he just Ooh. smashed it. I was like, please, come on. Just get him. Because Jim Carrey is insufferable as a human being in that documentary well, i mean you've seen what happened to the law and order guy um when hulk hogan got a hold of him right uh-uh Ooh. which law and order guy Ooh. like he did he actually punch him ruddy complexion big glasses um, oh yes, yes 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 um he put him in a just a basic headlock and the guy passed out and he let him go and he hit the he slapped the back of his head on the on the stage it was during a live like oh no television kidding. show like a, a late night program and the guy just fell backwards onto the stage and he was pouring blood from the back of his head and that he, sounds like he, he popped up in his comedic timing like even though he was totally out of it he still had it where he, he popped up and he's like and out of commercial <laughs> <laughs> he's one of those comedians comedian he's one of those guys like yeah. he's well known within the community like the, the comedian community but like to you and i i was like that's that guy from law and order yeah, the other big one was a Vader slapping um, oh, some God Middle Eastern Vader. Vader Dude. was terrifying. <laughs> God about Vader. Vader was four hundred pounds and could do a backflip off the top rope. That's terrifying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and uh, he wrestled in Japan, so he was stiff. <laughs> it's like here it comes, get ready. <laughs> but um, no, there was a famous incident where he, I think, he got suspended because he he slapped a dude on a, I think it was like. 
some kind of it was like jordanian television or something mm-hmm. and the guy was questioning the validity of wrestling and he slapped him and knocked him across the room that's pretty cool <laughs> again 400 pounds his arm weighs as much as i do <laughs> Jeez. Um, he's since moved on to you know his great reward or whatever so uh, the world misses vader maybe <laughs> i don't know uh, who was the dude that dread was that who was the dude that dressed kind of like Marilyn Manson? Like, he had, like, the messed up makeup and everything. Uh, there's been a couple of those. Sting in his crow phase. Uh, Vampiro. Uh, Maybe Golden Dust? I think, oh, Gold Dust. Gold Dust. I gold think it was yeah, Gold Dust. it could be Gold Dust. Yeah, I think because I remember he, like, wipes his mouth and his makeup and puts it into somebody's mouth. And my stepmom's like, that is disgusting. <laughs> that, was, that was the point of gold dust, is to make middle America real uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. um, can we get to the shower scene now? Absolutely, Kyle. Okay. Uh, walk us through it. So, I wasn't expecting it. Details, so Kyle. <laughs> I didn't notice the F-bombs or any of the cursing in this. So, I was like, this is for kids, you know. It's a Street Fighter animated movie. It's for kids. Um, I was wrong. Uh, so I have naked ladies showering because she showers so much. Like this, it, there's so much of the scene that I'm like, I don't even know who this is. I'm like, I know it's supposed to be somebody I know. I didn't put piece it together that it was Chun Li. And then when I realized it, I'm like, because Guile's like calling her apartment. He's like, she's not picking up. She's not picking up. And I'm like, oh, it's Chun Li. He's looking for Chun Li. I'm like, you drew Chun Li naked. You sons of bitches. Like. Half, like I'd say, the majority of the fantasy for people who are into uh, video game characters and like animated characters is not revealing anything. That's what makes it fun. So when you actually reveal it, you're kind of a dick. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Uh, sometimes a tease is worth more than a full reveal. Yeah, um, that, like the Angelina Jolie, uh, almost like the side boob shot in that uh, Tomb Raider movie. I mean, Tomb Raider was ninety uh, percent uh, boobs, ten percent guns. So that's what the nerds want to see is that side boob. Like they want to see your boobs, but you just don't give them the whole boob, just a little bit. Drive the boys wild. <laughs> I mean, her her uh, padded bra probably should have gotten like second billing or something. <laughs> <laughs> but this scene, it's actually kind of good. Uh, the way the way it's done. I I'm so glad you said that because taking all the lascivious aspects mm-hmm. of it, the gratuitous nudity. Yes, it's there. Yes, it's it's kind of cringy it's it's icky um but all that aside and i know it's a lot to push aside um from a directing standpoint from an animation standpoint this is actually a excellently constructed scene i'll allow it yeah this is actually um, one of those like yeah i'll, I'll give them yeah. in terms of shot choices and pacing and building of tension and suspense it's a really good scene it's maybe the best scene in the whole movie, to be honest. I think it's an effective tool. Like, this could be an effective tool in, like, a, a good horror movie. Not a titty horror movie. A good horror movie. Like, where you this, have... This is a hollow man done right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the... Uh, like, you can actually build tension with this. Like, you... Uh, they do it a little bit in Copycat with... Uh, What's-her-face? With uh, Sigourney Weaver. I don't know if you've seen Copycat. I have. Actually, but the guy a long, keeps... long time ago. He keeps coming into the apartment, so you get like that voyeuristic, like kind of that opening shot of Halloween where we're like kind of looking, watching her come back and forth. That's kind of what's happening here. Not as not as uh, explicit. I think it's a little more subtle here. Um, but if you were to translate this to film, I think it would look pretty cool, and it would be a good atmospheric moment. Yeah, um, it it's really well constructed in that we go from the shower to lots of 
what we presume are POV shots because at this point it's been explicitly stated in the film um, that M. Bison has sent Vega, that would be Claw. Um, uh, that to, makes more sense, yeah. To take care of Chun-Li. Uh, what that means, we don't know, but he has a claw, <laughs> and, uh, and he's kind of weird, so we know something bad's going to happen. Uh, you don't need to know much more than that. But, yeah, we get all these uh, shots of the cityscape. Um, it, we're in New York, apparently, and she's in a, an apartment or a hotel or something, and uh, we keep cutting back and forth between shots of the of the skyline, and then back to her, her showering, and then it's a lot of crossfades. And it takes its time, a little too much though. It does take a, a minute or two longer than it needs to. Um, but we get to follow her through her whole routine, and uh, the whole time we do get the sense that someone's in the apartment or in the hotel uh, watching her. In fact, we get this really neat uh, pan shot where it comes around a corner, and we get that slightly classy shot of uh, her naked form um behind some frosted glass because of the steam um and the camera just kind of pans like on a dolly essentially in animation (laughs) um uh, around the corner and like peeks at her and then it it recedes just as we see her turn to look that direction so she can't see out but you get the sense that like maybe her instincts are flaring a little bit but after she comes out of the shower she like puts on some music and is like combing her hair and uh kind of is going through her you know bedtime routine and stuff like you do and then we get this explosive uh action scene immediately following that and uh i don't i don't know if you picked up on this but again uh part of the reason why i wanted to bring up the dollar bills falling to the floor is because putting her in an oversized t-shirt as part of her outfit for this scene uh that's risky because from an animation standpoint, that is asking a lot of your team because you're having to take into account the physics of the fabric oh, sure. moving yeah. moving independent of her body within it. And holy shit, that's hard. <laughs> I mean, simulating the, the movement of fabric in general is difficult, but there's a reason why a lot of clothing in animation is skin tight. It's because it's so much easier. Yeah, that um, makes so sense. So they, they did this intentionally. Um, partially because they wanted to put her in her underwear <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but also just like they're tasking their animation crew with you know 10 times the work and it all comes together really well actually um and it's really interesting just to just to see them take on that challenge and kind of uh, get over that hurdle uh, i was really impressed with how it was rendered plus the intensity of this fight is quite a bit more than some of the others right it's very carefully choreographed uh the claw is is made use of quite a bit um it's a very bloody fight um she gets wrecked pretty badly (laughs) um but yeah some of the choreography here is is kind of stunning i love that beat where she steps on his face and Mm -hmm. rotates her heel um because that's like one of the few things that is universally known about vega is that he fights wearing a mask because he's too pretty he doesn't want to get his face fucked up yeah and to to have her do that, it's like, ooh, that, that's a kick in the nuts. <laughs> it's all my face. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, go yeah. ahead. No, there, uh, so, yeah, they go at it. Um, we get Alice and, like, uh, after this fight scene, we get some Alice in Chains. That's what... Oh. Uh, uh, sorry to cut you off, but the, the one other thing I wanted to say about the scene was that the other aspect of it that I have to praise the direction uh, for is... Uh, cutting back and forth between Guile on the freeway and and mm-hmm. the fight. 
because it adds a lot of tension where we have him in a stunningly rendered like mustang i think mm-hmm. <laughs> all the vehicles in this movie are really lovingly drawn <laughs> the porsche and the mustang are really well put together but um see so it's only it is like a like a de palma-esque scene like or a hitchcockian sequence where we have this incident of violence happening and then somebody aware that it's happening but unable to get there in time mm-hmm. so we keep cutting back and forth between him like rushing to get there and her like dealing with it, <laughs> dealing with it yeah. <laughs> anyway the music Kyle yeah so uh, we get Ken in his car and we get some straight up Alice in Chains I'm like the music so far has been pretty good and I'm like how the fuck were they able to license Alice in Chains because this was like the thick of the grunge scene like this was like the, we were in it at this point I mean we were what Black Sheep probably came out that year I think yeah, Black <laughs> I mean, Sheep 94, was 90, I think yeah. Black Sheep was a little bit later I think 95 maybe Joe Whitey Joe Whitey vote for Donnelly uh, I was actually uh, we started talking uh, my buddy and I started talking about Mud Honey which is the band he goes to see oh okay. um, they're still at it man they're still going uh, 1996 was uh, okay. was uh, Black Sheep Gotcha. Um, I don't even know. I think Lane Staley was already dead by then. Um, but yet to answer your question, uh, co-produced by Sony Music Entertainment. Makes uh, sense. So licensing the music probably wasn't too big a deal. Um, one other thing that needs to be said is, uh, like we said up top, uh, we did watch the English dub of this film. Uh, the Japanese soundtrack also has licensed music, pr- presumably also licensed by Sony Music Entertainment. Uh, but it's all J-pop and stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> Lane Staley didn't die until 2002. I thought he died in the 90s. Interesting. Lane Staley was the lead singer of uh, Alice in Chains, who I do believe is the best band to come out of the Seattle area at that time. Better than Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Fuck Pearl wow. Jam. Uh, well, hopefully someone comes out to fight you online. <laughs> <laughs> Mud Honey are fun. I actually downloaded their, uh, like, their, basically, like, their, uh, just a big playlist of theirs. I'm like, fuck yeah, I can get back into Mud Honey. That's pretty cool that they're still, they're still touring. They're still doing it. Um, I, the I, name. <laughs> yeah. I had a question because Guile goes to see, I guess Chun-Li goes to the hospital and Guile's like, oh no, I didn't get there in time or whatever. And he's like, I'm going to get him for you. <laughs> he fucking flexes on her. He flexes his bicep. I'm like, wait a minute. What just happened? What? Did he have like a, a thing? Like if he won a fight, he would flex. Or if he was about to do a, a, a thing. Why did he flex on her? Um, I'm, I'm running through his win poses at the time. Uh, in the arcade, he had a win pose where he'd take off his dog tags and lift them up in the air. So that was like a fist pump. Like a Tiger okay. Woods fist pump. Um. In the Super Nintendo one, he had one where he'd run a comb through his hair and strike like a bodybuilding pose. Gotcha. I do not remember a single bicep flex. (laughs) It's like, it's it's Ambit who's like, I'm going to get him for you. And it kind of like goes over to the bicep too. Yeah, yeah, the uh, camera zooms in specifically on his peaks. (laughs) Or his peak. I believe that the Street Fighter movie, the live action one, came out the same year as this. 94. Um, if you stay to the end credits of this one, the last thing in the credits is actually a caption reading, stay tuned for the for the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie coming okay. out later. And JCVD plays Guile in there. Correct. Okay. So I believe there is a moment where he like flexes on camera too, is there not? It's this angle though. Yeah, he does like a, a thing. 
it's the outside of his bicep, and it's because he has American flags paint, yeah, tattooed uh, on both of his arms. Gotcha. Yes. So, it, so what you're talking about, Kyle, makes no sense whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> it's, an, it's entirely like uh, everything we just said praising the direction in the Chun-Li fight scene. <laughs> You can throw that, all that out the window, the window. <laughs> in the very know. next scene. It's pretty funny. It's a pretty funny little little moment. Well, especially because she's unconscious. Yeah. Well, get him. <laughs> Fuck, that's funny. Um, Do you know yeah. where the weight room is? <laughs> I'll check it out. Scram. Don't give her the weight room thing. Um, but yeah, so is Ryu on like a vision quest now? Because he's just fucking climbing a rock wall, and we he's learn... Tom Cruise in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he we learn that uh, Ryu's uh, red headband actually came from Ken, which I don't know if that's true. Or if that's just something they added. I think it came from this movie, and then they applied it to future games in the series. Okay. Uh, so some ideas came about as a result of this movie. Um, so yeah, he gets his red, his iconic red headband from from uh, an injury incurred by Ken while they're training when they're younger. And yeah, he is essentially on a ah fuck, I forget the Japanese term for it, but it's a it's a fighting pilgrimage. This is a thing that I don't believe is practiced anymore. Um, <laughs> it's kind of an ancient or not ancient, but an antiquated concept where you had martial artists or swordsmen, uh, fighting people uh, would, you know, learn learn their trade and then go ply their craft across the country. So you just kind of like wander about as like an ascetic, like an ascetic monk almost, and uh, learn learn how to become a better fighter by fighting people around the world. Um, I mean, you do see this in like professional fighting to some extent. Like there are some people that globe trot in order to ply their craft, but uh, that's always been Ryu's story. Um, he's kind of a boring character in uh, Street Fighter Alpha. They tried to add more depth to it by. Uh, inserting something lifted directly from Star Wars uh, called the uh, Satsui no Hado. Uh, like, usually they call it the Dark Hado. So it's literally the dark side of the Force. <laughs> and basically he's tempted by it. And it, it's, uh, like I said, the martial art that they practice is called like the Assassin's Fist. And the idea is that the style of it that Ken and Ryu learned is like the more, the, like the light side of the Force aspect of it. But there is a dark side that, you know, can give you more strength, but involves, like, giving in to your darker instincts and whatnot. Um, so that's that's usually Ryu's story, is that he's trying to just be kind of like a monk traveling around the world, you know, fighting around the world. <laughs> but uh, he keeps, like, having dark temptations and whatnot in the form of, like, a murderous intent that pops up in his brain every once in a while. And Ken seems like he's mostly okay, though. Yeah. <laughs> so he's super rich, too. <laughs> Does much else happen up to the uh, the climax of the film? No, the climax of this film is like twenty minutes long. <laughs> it's long. It's pretty fucking long. Um, so yeah, Ryu is living on a mountain. Apparently, he shacked up with E Honda. Yeah. Um, they met each other at the Dalsim fight between E Honda and Dalsim, and we have this very strange exchange that I want to say is probably literally like directly translated from Japanese because it's so awkward. Because, like, E-Honda just walks up to Ryu in uh, India, and he's like, here, half of this money's yours. It's like, why? Because we're both Japanese fighters. We got to stick together. <laughs> it's like, okay. okay. <laughs> it's like, I'll take your money, fat guy. <laughs> but, yeah, they're living on, like, a mountain at, like, the Thai-Laos border or something. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, Bison's plane. Uh, he has, like, a VTOL, like, this really awesome, like, carrier plane of some sort that... 
uh, just pops up at the top of the mountain just like seconds after Guile arrives by high helicopter. So we have E Honda, Guile, and Ryu. And then M. Bison shows up and he has Ken, who he kidnapped earlier. Evil Ken, yeah. Evil Ken. Um, yeah. Usually called Violent Ken. Um, <laughs> Violent K. <laughs> If I, if I, that's a, that's a rapper name. Yeah. <laughs> Violent K. Well, Violent J is one of the members of the Insane Clown Posse. Oh fuck. Yeah. Why why did you have to teach me that? <laughs> I'm yeah. never gonna forget that. <laughs> yeah. Now you know. The more uh, you know. <laughs> so we have Violent K, um, Balrog. Sagat has been asked to step aside because we already saw him, and this movie's already overcrowded. Yeah. Which <laughs> may be sad because Sagat has always been, I think. I think my brother shares this appreciation. We both like Sagat quite a bit as a character. He's just he's just awesome as a design. He's a giant bald tie boxer that throws fireballs and knees. It's like yeah. fucking awesome. And, and he has uh, the no irises and pupils thing like Bison. Yeah. And the eye patch is iconic. And then uh, we got to see the formation of the chest scar at the beginning of the movie where uh, Ryu does the Shoryuken and uh, puts the scar on his chest which it that's been in the story since since the first games the hadouki <laughs> hadouki <laughs> I, I really like the way they handle the hadouken in this movie where they tease it like they mm. make you wait for it where, where it's like the, the very first scene in the movie we get to see him doing it but he throws it directly into the camera so we don't actually see the projectile the damage gotcha. and then ken like starts charging it when uh, bison's kidnapping him but he never gets to throw it it like he throws it but we get a pov of it hitting bison and then it gets thrown back at him so again we don't see the projectile mm-hmm. and i think the only other one besides the one at the very end of the movie is uh, ken throws one at ryu and it misses mm. so so the only hadoken we get to see on camera is like the the finale of the entire thing like mm. the final killing blow in the entire film um but yeah we get we get a everybody fight everybody moment <laughs> where yeah. like uh balrog and ihonda roll off the mountain together it's actually kind of a funny moment that kind of found its way into the live action movie as well or mm. you haven't seen it correct no i haven't seen it okay well ihonda and zangief have a wrestling match in there that is pretty fucking great it's one of the funnier like legit funny moments in the whole movie yeah Zongiev's actually pretty funny in that movie. Um, <laughs> you got paid? <laughs> um, but yeah, they fall off the mountain together. Uh, Guile, Guile does not get to do anything in this movie. Um, mm. He shows up late for the Vega and Chun-Li fight. Uh, he, never, he never even gets to put hands on M. Bison before he gets defeated. <laughs> he gets to do his sonic boom, which misses. It hits his cape. And he gets to do a flash kick at nothing. And then he gets thrown off the mountain. <laughs> That's it. Um, and how long was Ryu getting his ass kicked by Ken? Because it felt like a half hour. It felt like a half hour, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's one of those unfortunate scenes where it, it, this happens all too often in media in general, where you have uh, the one guy who's like brainwashed and his friend, and you have this fight situation where it's like you'd expect it to be like an awesome showdown. But it just comes down to one guy constantly pleading with the other guy while he gets his ass whipped. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that's not a fight. This is this is like Hulk Hogan before he powers up. It's like <laughs> it's like, no, I don't want that. I, I want an actual wrestling match. <laughs> but um, you wanna you wanna get us to the finale, Kyle? Uh, the two on one. Yeah, it's it, is it not Ken and Ryu versus Bison? Yeah, uh, Ken gets chucked off the mountain, and he has a whole bunch of flashbacks where uh, he summons his 
spirit energy, his key uh, to fix his fucking broken legs, apparently. <laughs> well, the movie was kind of telegraphing like uh, fucking uh, Red Dragon. It's like, this is Ryu, do you see? Like, this is the hero of the film, do you see? Yeah, like, <laughs> we know it's going to be Ryu at the end. Yeah, and part of the charm of Ryu and uh, something that they don't, I don't think they do it very well in this in this movie, but I always think it's funny about Ryu is that he's actually the guy with the least stake in the fight. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't even know about the existence of M Bison until just now. He's vision questing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had no idea any of this was happening. It just showed up at his doorstep, and he's like, "Okay, I guess we're fighting," <laughs> and he's fine with it because that's all he fucking does with his life. Um, but I always think that's funny. That's like he's like this supreme fighter that spends all of his days just like living like a monk up in the mountains and stuff. And then somehow shit just finds him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the games had the advantage of being structured like a tournament where it gives him a reason to be involved. This movie, though, it's like they made no effort to include him on the drama whatsoever. <laughs> In fact, from a character standpoint, like if you want to get right down to it, um, Guile and Chun Li both have quite a bit more reason to be mad at M. Bison than Ryu or Ken. Um, they're the ones who actually have a personal stake in the fight. Like, it's barely alluded to in this movie, but the whole reason Guile doesn't like M. Bison is because A, military, and B, his friend Charlie slash Nash was killed by M. Bison. So he and Chun Li can commiserate over the fact that they both lost people to him. Um, but Ken and Ryu, it's just like, I think when Ken meets M. Bison, he doesn't know who he is either. <laughs> um,. After you're finished with the fight, I have an exercise for you, and I think you're going to have a lot of fun with it. Oh, no. Um, But, yeah, the the fight is very well animated, but all too brief. It's Mm. short. It's very very short. Um, The Chun-Li and Vega one was quite a bit longer and arguably better animated, to be honest. Um, uh, Definitely better animated because, again, poofy shirt. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, it's a... It's mostly Ryu getting his ass kicked by Bison immediately after having gotten his ass kicked by Ken for like a half an hour. Uh, so, okay. Uh, <laughs> he's got John Cena powers. He, he just will not die. Um, but yeah, Ken fixes his legs by the power of meditation mm-hmm. and joins the fight. They have a two-on-one with M. Bison. Uh, it takes them a good solid like minute before they can even touch him, which is appropriate given that he's supposed to be the big bad. Um, his fighting style is strange. It doesn't quite match that of the games at all. Um, I did like that they incorporated his slide. Um, he has a slide attack. Instead of a sweep, M. Bison traditionally has a, a slide where he he just kind of like leans back and slides into you, like mm. toe and knee first, and knocks your legs out from under you. Hmm. And the way they do it in this movie, it looks like he's riding a fucking like land speeder from star wars no. and he like zips past both of them and they all like get knocked up into the air it looks pretty cool um but to finish him uh ryu lands a bunch of strikes um and then i think ken grabs him by the legs uh so we're cheating now <laughs> we're doing two-on-one shit and uh, we get to see all of all three of their special moves we get the whirlwind kick the tatsumakusen pukyuk uh the shoryuken the rising uppercut and then the big finisher move is a double hadoken so both mm-hmm. ryu and ken do a hadoken the the two spirit balls merge into one they hit bison square in the chest he flies backwards spectacular fireworks display uh, he flies into the vtol 
which we might want to use to get off this mountain. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there, neither and it blows there. up. Yeah. I hope Sagat wasn't in there. <laughs> or was, who cares? <laughs> who cares? The movie's almost over. Yeah. Uh, so Bison defeated uh, Chun-Li and Guile meet up at the hospital. We have a, a goofy moment where she pretends to be dead, and then you know it's like, ah, surprise, I'm not dead. Yeah. Uh, Guile's mad, so he like chokes her out and <laughs> something. <laughs> and then we have this awkward moment where Ken and Ryu say goodbye to each other, and uh, his future wife Eliza pulls up in his red Porsche, and somehow they're in Washington again. Yeah. Even though we are just in Thailand slash Laos. Yeah. How did we get there? Yeah. Uh, so she picks up Ken, and uh, we have an awkward goodbye between the two men. And uh, did you stay to the like through any of the credits? Absolutely. Of course not. not. No. <laughs> Kyle is shaking his head vigorously. Uh, no. As soon as I saw <laughs> Ryu's back, I saw that first credit. I'm like, done. All right. Oh, uh, you missed one of the funniest parts. Um, this is this is like, I don't know. It's a good gamer joke. <laughs> so, no. uh, basically, the closing shot of the film is Ryu. Um, refusing a ride home to wherever his home may be um, and he just like walks along the side of the, the road and it's like mountains so it's like it's hilly so he keeps dipping out of the frame and back up into the frame mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> a truck a semi truck approaches him from behind and it starts honking at him and the credits are still rolling now and Ryu's like coming towards the camera and then this truck comes over the horizon and it starts honking crazily and as it gets closer, we see M. Bison behind the steering wheel. <laughs> and the That's hood funny. ornament on the thing is his skull emblem. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And then he has this crazy smile. And, yeah. and like the closing... lightning. <laughs> like lightning. <laughs> and the closing shot of the film, before we cut to black for the remainder of the credits, is a, like a cyborg POV shot of Ryu leaping with like a jump kick towards the windshield of this truck nah. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid but it's it's amazing in how stupid it is yeah okay. so that's the movie and uh, mm-hmm. kyle you said you had an exercise for me yes i do so they're already i think there's already a mortal Kombat movie in production or post-production at this point i'm not entirely sure um now i don't I haven't heard anything about a street fighter movie coming out but i want you to cast your ideal Street Fighter movie, and it can be equal parts stuntmen and uh, actors with a martial arts background. And I'll give you the character. Um, first of all, who would be who would be your Liu Kang? Like, who would you be following? Who would it be about? Oof. Um, <clears throat> so, tradition dictates that it should be Ryu, okay, or Ken, or the two, or the pair of them. Okay, I think the um, pair would be good. Yeah, I mean, because Ryu's pretty flat in terms of characterization, so he kind of needs to lean on Ken for that, you know, extra support. Okay, so uh, it's going to be a tournament film. So who are you casting as Ryu? Oof, that's tough because so you're saying I don't need to think. I don't don't need to think about martial arts. No, you can you can think about. This doesn't have to be a box office smash. This is just your ideal street fighter movie and it doesn't have to be necessarily a martial arts or stuntman it could be someone with a background that is capable or it can be a stuntman like scott atkins like somebody like that well i mean it would be ideal to have a japanese actor portray a japanese character Mm -hmm. especially because the whole 
character of Ryu is that he's almost stereotypically Japanese and mm. like to a cartoonish degree. <laughs> it's gotcha. like he's an he's an ideal, not not a not one that really can exist in in the world of today, but one that, you know, in ancient times like in you know, the days when people would carry swords or you know, like dueling culture was a thing maybe. Um he's not he doesn't have the physicality at all. Um but Takeru Sato is a Japanese actor who finds his way into a lot of uh, anime and manga adaptations. And I've gone on record saying before that uh, he continually amazes me with his his chameleonic abilities as an actor. He uh, he can do anything. Um, he I've seen him portray like really cold, like emotionally cold characters. I've seen him portray like childish characters i've seen him play thugs where he where he's like a he's like a brutish like bully type character he has an extensive toolkit um and i i feel like you know regardless of what role you put him into he'll bring something to it and he's in the rudoni kenshin movies as kenshin which is a very difficult role to play because you need to be able to do two ends of the spectrum you need to be able to play him when he has his murder goggles on (laughs) <laughs> when he's in like killing machine mode but you also need to play him when he's a goofball and he's aloof and he's kind of cartoonishly silly and I was gonna Ry- say, Ryu would be somewhere I guess towards the darker end of that I was going to say Suyoshi Ihara from uh, 13 Assassins kind of like the main cool dude he's older he's quite a bit older but in terms of physicality he's a, he's tall by Japanese standards mm-hmm. um, and yes the intensity Charismatic. is ser- Yes, very charismatic. Yeah, and especially in terms of body language, actually. Um, he, actually, very good pick, Kyle. He's fifty six now. Uh. <laughs> like I said, he's he's older. Like but in a different know. world, like someone like Tadanobu Asano, mm-hmm. fantastic actor. He's like the Brad Pitt of Japan for a minute there. But if you take a minute to think about how old he is now, mm, <laughs> maybe not the best fit. Now, Kin Masters is arguably a white guy, um, an American white guy. Um, I don't know who we have that would be a blonde, like a blonde dude that could pull that off. Who would have the right chemistry? I think Channing Tatum is a little too, too comical for me. Um, I think maybe Charlie Hunnam could pop, could pull it off. <laughs> they both have that like pug face thing going. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, ladies love Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> Everybody loves Charlie. Oh, he's Hunnam. very charismatic. I think that he could probably pull off something like that. And he would be the comic like I think that Ryu would be a more serious character and Ken would be a little bit more playful. Yeah. Um Ken Ken is funny because there was a live action um web series. Uh so it didn't get a huge audience or anything, but it was called a Street Fighter Assassin's Fist. It was directed by Joey Ansa, who is a British stuntman um, mm. he pops up in fun places like um, did I see Mission Impossible Fallout with you in the theater was that with someone else I think that was someone else but I did see it in the theater okay well the bathroom the per- whoever I was in when I when I whoever I was in there with I I like said to them under my breath like is that Joey Ansa because there's a scene in that movie where it's um, I think it's right after the motorcycle chase um, and they're all like trying to marshal the resources and get together and just a couple of goons show up for a nothing little scene where just like one guy gets shot and then they run away 
and it just so happened that one of those goons was him and i was like oh holy oh. shit i was totally right like and he didn't even look like him i was like somehow my instincts told me that was him um anyway uh for that web series uh, he got together a lot of his friends and they really went above and beyond to try to like really tell the story of street fighter 2 like the well street fighter alpha of uh, the okay. beginning of ken and ryu's relationship and the guy that they got to play ken is ken like from an acting standpoint christian uh, howard he, yes. christian howard he looks like a video game character yeah he does he is ridiculous he does look like ken the construction of his face and those eyebrows he is ken yeah like it's it's insane I, I can't good, believe yeah. this guy has not had a bigger career because he has the look for sure and he's got the moves he's a skilled martial artist and stuntman but as far as i know he hasn't really done a whole lot okay so you've got chun li i don't know any of the female uh fighters yeah okay so yeah chun li and then cammy yeah uh that'd be tough chun li i actor actresses in china are a funny thing um female roles in china are there aren't many of them (laughs) when it comes to blockbuster films uh, there are some cultural norms that i feel like a lot of women get kind of brushed off to the side in chinese films um i'm gonna say it's young z too old now unfortunately she's too old unfortunately too old um 90s 90s she's got it uh i mean hollywood would tell you michelle yo she is even older (laughs) she still can move for sure like i've seen her in a movie like a couple years ago she still got the moves but is that the malaysian fox yes that is the malaysian fox um i would um jing jing tian uh j-i-n-g-t-i-a-n um she gets my vote just because seems like her agent's putting in work um she got a couple of really big roles in the past few years and then kind of just petered out Mm. but she she's got the look and she's already demonstrated that she has the moves she does nothing for me as an (laughs) as an actress um but she took those kinds of roles uh within the past couple years so like holly she started to pop up in hollywood stuff like that great wall movie Mm. and uh uh uh, one that you have seen kong skull island um she has the smallest of roles in that um but she she's had to do some serious stunt work there's a hong kong movie called special id with donnie yen that she had to do quite a bit of fighting and she she showed up for it but again it's more just like a utilitarian pick where it's like she fits the mold but i don't have any special attachment to her fan bing bing in terms of like hotness yeah you can put her in any role i'll watch the movie (laughs) but she's in trouble with the the tax laws apparently Ah. (laughs) yeah she had like an income tax thing or something (laughs) um i was gonna say for cammy um i was gonna say Mackenzie davis or uh anna de armas either one from uh, blade runner 2049 Mackenzie can't because cammy's small She's diminutive. Mackenzie Davis oh, is like five ten. I thought she was lankier. Oh, in that case, if she's shorter, hmm, interesting. No, traditionally, when she's put next to Chun Li, she's considerably smaller. Um, Kristen Bell, honestly, uh, if she'd be a little, <laughs> bit, she'd be a little bit funnier for the character. Oh, but other I, other thing uh, to add to your thought process, mm-hmm. Cammy is British. Mm, I don't know which which in Hollywood terms would translate to Australia (laughs) yes yes you're right Uh, capable but too old uh, Charlize Theron too tall Uh, 
Yeah, I was going to say, she just wouldn't, it, it doesn't fit. Too tall. Um, there's probably <laughs> some Aussie that I'm thinking I of. I sound like I'm, I'm like putting together a baseball roster. He doesn't have the look. Like, how, how hot is his girlfriend? It's right, like, I'm, not very. We'll get him off the team then. Okay, <laughs> so I'm going to give you some of the uh, the bigger characters, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up here. So I'm going to give you uh, Guile. Now, Guile's going to be a beefcake. Yeah, Guile is a beefcake. If you want it. <laughs> If you uh, want to stay true to the canon, you have to find somebody who looks good with no eyebrows. <laughs> I have no idea. Which I don't think you would actually do for the movie. Ooh. That's asking a lot. Army Hammer. Not not a bad be- pick. Yeah. Not a bad pick. Yeah. I think he could do that. Charismatic. He can be serious. He can be threatening. I think that'd be pretty good. He's and I mean, great to look I, at. I would also throw your Charlie Hunnam in that argument as yeah. well. Actually, that's I think Guile would be a better like Charlie Hunnam or a um, uh, Channing Tatum even. Well, I'm thinking Charlie Hunnam specifically in like Pacific Rim where he mm-hmm. kind of has that like shoulders back like, hey. Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Zangief. Ooh. I mean, you'd have to go with an actual like active wrestler or or just go the with mountain. Hop Thor Bjornsson. I mean, yeah. he's the obvious, obvious, obvious. pick. Uh, Blanca. Who do you make a Blanca? <sighs> uh, I mean, Blanca realistically would probably have to be a special effect um, because he's supposed to be big yeah. and covered in makeup appliances. Um, yeah, you're right. Who would do the be... voice? I don't even know if he's... Well, He no, he does speak. He does speak. And uh, he'd have to be someone sensitive. Because he, he has to be like a monster, but Blanca's story in the games was that he was uh, a white kid that uh, was in a plane crash or something and was separated from his family and ended up in the jungles of Brazil and somehow evolved or mutated into the gr- the green thing. <laughs> hmm. uh, and the end of, his ending in Street Fighter 2 is he's reunited with his mom. Um, so, yeah, he... I don't know. Maybe someone who can fake like a Portuguese accent, or does have a Portuguese accent, and mm. has has some sort of sympathetic Ooh. quality to their voice and their their <sighs> body language. The Mandalorian. Um, I can't think of the actor's name. Pasc- uh something Pascal. I can't think of his name. Uh, I think he could probably do it. I think he would probably have a good. I think he's a Spanish actor. Um, well, I mean, Hollywood's pretty fast and loose when it comes to all that stuff. Like. I mean, you have plenty of actors. Like, was it the Narcos guy? Was I think? He yeah, was... that's him. No, that's, okay. that's a different okay. guy. Not him. Not him. That's a different guy. I know what you're talking about, though. Wasn't he like Brazilian and asked to speak Spanish or something? Oh, what's the Kiwi? The Kiwi actor that um, he's he's all kinds of different ethnicities. He was one of the Cholos from Training Day. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. I know who you're talking about. I can't think of his name. Yeah, uh, it escapes me at Cur- the moment. Cliff Cur- Cliff Curtis, I think. Something like that? I think you're right. I think it's him. Um, I'm going to give you just a couple more. Uh, I'm going to vote E. Honda is played by Mike Myers in the Fat Bastard suit. I think that, <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> just let him do that. Um, <laughs> I give you uh, Dalsim. I feel like it would be a lot of fun. I think Will Smith, even now, I think he could probably pull it off because he's barely Ooh. aged a day. Hollywood 2020 can't do that because he's Indian. Oh, gotcha. Uh, that is misleading. To, you, have to, you have to get an Indian or someone from around the region at the very least. Balrog. Um, okay, Indian. I don't know too many actors. I don't either, but, you know, Bollywood's kind of a thing. Yeah. So it's it's not stuff that's known to us, but there are candidates. 
<laughs> okay, last two. Actually, some people would consider Dulcium like a a problematic character. In yes, general. very much. But I wanted to make sure people of color were represented in this cast. Yeah. Um, Sagat? Ooh. That's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Sagat's <laughs> <laughs> um, impossible. Uh, Sagat is a casting impossibility. Um, okay. Unfortunately, Sagat is supposed to be legit seven foot, if not more. Yeah, and Asian. He's supposed to be Thai. Uh, so okay. good luck finding that, unless it's what they do with a lot of stunt casting for like goon roles, where it, there's a lot of random seven foot people in China that find their way into movies, like a lot of basketball players and yeah. people along those lines that just show up for like you know a, a fight sequence or something, and they aren't actors. Um, Sagat would be the character I'd want to see realized on film the most just because I think he's one of the coolest characters in the Street Fighter 2 roster but from a from a logistical standpoint I don't know if you could actually find a human being that could do that okay and no one will top Raul Julia but last but not least (laughs) who would be your M. Bison M. Bison Um, you know I don't know what Siren Hines looks like young um, mm. But a very young Siren Hines would have the menace, and he has that weird facial construction where he looks like he's continually like constipated, like perpetually constipated. Yeah, I was gonna say Ian McShane doesn't have the physicality; like he just wouldn't be able to play a character like that. Well, also remember that the the way we're seeing the character represented in the movie that you just watched is slightly contrary, I think, to like later or other iterations like in this he's very cartoonishly you know evil and stuff and i guess street fighter 5 like the version of him is that kind of evil where he's he like relishes in being evil so somebody that can have a lot of fun with it <laughs> somebody who can go big and yeah raul julia certainly did that he, he knew what kind of role he was playing um uh, hmm trying to think of who's like really flamboyant but can also be like menacing at the same time because it would have to be someone that fits that mold hmm it's hard to say yeah it's hard to say i was gonna say the the rock physically but it would be it would be a completely different movie like there would be no seriousness to it it would be a goofy a silly kind of movie <laughs> oh statham could play guile statham with that wig mm-hmm I mean that would that would be a different movie, but I would laugh every time he's on camera. I think if you put the rock and state the minute, it's a movie that you can go see in the theater, <laughs> and I think it'll be entertaining. But I could kind of get into the rock being a like a very uh, campy, hammy villain. I'm just picturing him doing his Moana voice, but with with no color in his eyes, just mm-hmm. a pure white eyes with the fucking hat. <laughs> I could see it. I, I think I think I'm gonna cast uh, the rock. Uh, Dwayne Johnson. What about the... what about Rafe Fines? <sighs> no, because it would be he would it would be, be too two, scary. <laughs> it'd be a two tone film where it's yeah. like everybody else has got one movie going on and he would just be in a completely different movie, being mm-hmm. terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's too good. He's he's too he's good. Too, for... Yeah, he's elevated above everyone else. Yes, mm. which is why the Grand Budapest Hotel is such a treasure because it's him in a comedic role that's just very charming. Yeah. I think what we're learning from this exercise is, is that, that it can't a, happen. Yeah, that this can't happen. <laughs> There's can't a reason happen. why Mortal Kombat is actually more feasible. Like it's Despite it also being a very goofy franchise, um, the character designs are 
just somehow more easily represented in live action than than these ones I, I don't know what it is about them but yeah most of these characters just you can't find people like this yeah without it being utterly goofy and silly <laughs> yeah that's uh that's all i had to say about that yeah uh, no i i I had a lot of fun talking about this movie, uh, Street Fighter Two, the animated movie from 1994. Um, it's kind of up in the air as to how we're going to be concluding uh, Anime August. Mm-hmm. However, uh, until we arrive at what uh, film we're going to be doing for next week, um, I'll just throw it out there that if you want to check out our other programming, uh, we do have a website. It is catchinguponcinema.com. Um, and we also have a couple of social media accounts. That would be a Twitter at Catching Cinema, as well as an Instagram account at Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, so feel free to hit us up at either one of those, and uh, potentially, you know, tell us how shitty we are at our jobs, and/or <laughs> suggest new episode ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. That being said, uh, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. See you.